there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one playful page of Talmud every day. And it doesn't get more playful than today's page, Sota 36, which begins with, I'm going to call it some alt history, some description from the Talmud of how the Israelites' entry to the promised land actually went down. This is what the Talmud tells us about this seminal occasion in our people's history. Have a listen. It is taught in a baraita. The hornet did not cross the Jordan with them, meaning cross the Jordan with the Israelites and entering the land of Israel. The Gemara asks, and did it not? But isn't it written, and I will send the hornet before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites? Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish says, The hornet stood on the banks of the Jordan and threw its venom at the inhabitants of the land, and it blinded their eyes from above and castrated them from below. As it is stated, Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and they were strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed their fruit from above and their roots from beneath. What an amazing, amazing image God facilitating the entry of the Jews into the promised land by sending hornets to spit out venom at them. And I don't know about you, but when I hear such a description, hornets speaking venom, the first thing that comes to my mind, being a child of the 1980s, being somewhat of a video game aficionado, is the game Super Mario Brothers. And the timing isn't accidental because this week, Super Mario Brothers, now a major motion picture, became one of only 52 films in film history to cross the $1 billion mark at the box office. So here to join me in this reverie about hornets, about animals protecting magical kingdoms, about supernatural fun, is Tablet Magazine's senior writer and dear friend, Armin Rosen. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Liel. You get what I'm saying here, right? Like, when you see this, like, you know, there are two ends of the river, the Israelites are hopping, like, from one platform to another, and hornets are trying to kind of shoot them down. Doesn't it seem kind of like Mario Brothers Z to you? It does. And, you know, in, in last week's Parsha or this week's Parsha, I forget which, right, it kind of introduces the idea that the land is going to spit you out if mm-hmm. you're not worthy of it. And you wonder, well, what does it actually look like for, like, the land to spit you out? Like, literally what? By what mechanism? And for an answer to that question, you you turn to things like Super Mario Brothers, uh, right? In environments that are actually attacking you, right? Like swinging fire chandeliers, like weird fish with like the jaws of like, you know, wildcats, uh, you know, pipes leading down to hell. Truly in an, an environment designed, again, to to spit out the single vulnerable human being bouncing around through all of it to final victory, Mario. I think, you know, if someone at home listening right now thinks that it is a preposterous enterprise to equate video game logic with, you know, Torah and Talmud, I will say this. If you think about what video games are, you are in a universe designed by a creator whose presence you acknowledge but who you will never meet. Uh, This world has very strict rules which you will never know and a host of enemies and a host of forces constantly trying to knock you off your feet. There's something very existential about it, which is why it is a medium that lends itself to religious meditations, no? And and Mario, more than anything else, is kind of the er video game in a way. It's what we think of when we think of what a video game kind of is, right? The original side-scrolling Mario 
you know, the Super Mario Brothers 3 vintage of Mario, let's say, where, yes, the rules are very clear. They're very simple. You can't transcend them, but they present like a series of, let's even say, moral and intellectual puzzles that that you can solve. People have solved it before. You can solve it as well as, as you know, in my case, the 13-year-old with a smuggled Game Boy at Sleepaway Jew Camp, you know, like it can, it can be done. Use an interesting word here, uh, moral choices. I don't think a lot of people would see playing video games as an exercise in exercising your moral faculties. What about playing video games do you see as something that lends itself to moral reflection? These days it kind of doesn't because, you know, a lot of kind of the more popular games are just kind of bloodbaths in a way that really kind of don't develop a lot of, uh, you know, the higher sensibilities, let's say. But in Mario, you're actually not out to, like, kill anything or anyone. You're on what is basically kind of the altruistic mission of rescuing the princess and, you know, restoring some kind of order to the, you know, whichever universe the game takes place in. You know, and it's through, again, like a very kind of intricate decision-making process of how you get from rock to rock or from place to place. Uh, or what's what's the next kind of, like, you know, world within this, you know, universe of the game that you're going to kind of go and travel towards and you're you're almost like kind of this weird autonomous actor within again the very strict rules of of the game. And I think that's something that that actually does make Mario kind of so enduring uh, that you're not on some kind of mission in which you're going to do things that are horrible and that bring on all kinds of moral injury. Like he's he's pretty Mario is pretty unambiguously on the side of of good, I would say. It's kind of interesting listening to you talk. It does kind of recall today's page of Talmud, right? Because God is saying, look, here's the land that I promised to you. It's going to be inhabited with people who aren't necessarily good and who need to be overcome precisely because part of the sense of the challenge here, I think, is turning Canaan, the promised land, into the promised land, right? God is telling us in a way, look, there's nothing inherently promised about it. It's not going to be a walk in the park. By overcoming these challenges, by overcoming these people, and knowing that even nature itself is going to be with you, you would have transformed it, which I think is, again, it's very Mario Brothers-y type of logic. You know that you are kind of remaking this kingdom by taking on this quest to save everything that's good about it and save it from the evil Bowser, which in this version, I guess, is the Hivites. Yes. But at the same time, the land will only be on your side if you deserve it. At the same time, it's conditional. It can be withdrawn. And in this respect, you know, the video game analogy from my youth that kind of comes to mind are like the Sid Meier games, Mm -hmm. Alpha Centauri, you know, civilization. The build your own universe. Right. But the universe, especially in Alpha Centauri, was like pretty hostile. And, you know, you would build one city and the drones would immediately start rioting. And if you stabled their nerves, then you would get condemned in the planetary council and then you'd be a pariah state for the whole rest of the game. And, uh, right. Like the challenges would come kind of hard and fast. But, you know, maybe you want to build a more militaristic society and you, and you don't care what the planetary council says about you. And actually, it's better to staple their nerves and build up the technology tree until you get to nuclear weapons, and then you can just hold everyone hostage. But not in That's Mario. a way to win. But Mario is a complete exercise in almost faith, right? In yes. Almost in religious faith. It is. It is. that You can get through these obstacles, that the goal at the end will be worth it and good, that there will be some kind of larger balance and order restored through it all. 
and that there again that there are no sort of questions about whether your underlying motives are are evil. Mario is a lot of things, but I think one of the one of the reasons it's endured for so long in so many different forms is that it's all pretty straightforward. It's all pretty unambiguous. Like yes, there is a dark Mario, but he's Wario, a completely different character. <laughs> you know. And so may we all always be found worthy of inheriting our promised lands and always be deemed to be as good as Mario. Armin Rosen, thank you so much for being our guest. Thanks. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, please go and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts and get your Take One t-shirts and mugs at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Risquet, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Robert Scaramucci, Courtney Hazlett, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone. Subscribe to our newsletter at tabletm.ag slash take one newsletter or email us at take one at tabletmag.com. You can find us on Twitter at take one Dafyomi or join our Facebook group by searching for take one podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic. Thank you.